This morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Look with me this morning in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 29. Not Corinthians in the New Testament, but Chronicles in the Old. 2 Chronicles chapter number 29 this morning. Let me remind you again, sermon notes are on the back of your bulletin. And uh, fill in the blanks. It will help you uh, keep track. It will help you uh, stay awake this morning. It will give you something to take home with you. Amen. Second Chronicles this morning, chapter number 29. We're going to begin reading the first ten verses to get us started this morning. Second Chronicles chapter number 29, began with verse 1, says that Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. He said unto them, Hear me, Levites, sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. Put out the lamps and have not burned incense or burned or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem and has given them and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons, our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. I'm using for my subject this morning Hezekiah's example. Father, we thank you today for the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the example of this king named Hezekiah. Thank you, Father, for the examples that you have put in your word, Father, that we can glean from, that we can learn from, that we can better our lives as we copy, as we learn, as we imitate. Father, we just pray your blessing upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. Father, open our ears to hear the word, and Lord, may we put into practice what we hear today. In the name of the Lord, and everybody said, praise the Lord. Well, you may be reseated this morning. Well, Hezekiah was the son of one of the worst kings that Judah ever had, King Ahaz. Hezekiah's father had totally led his people uh, away from, from God. King Ahaz had desecrated all of the holy things of the temple. And he had put out the lamps in the temple. He had closed the door uh, to the temple and locked it up tight. Under the reign of Hezekiah's father Ahaz, God was neither needed nor wanted. Because of Ahaz's rejection of God, because of his unholy alliance, uh, uh, because of his dedication to the false pagan gods, as well as his desecration of of total uh, uh, ignoring of the temple, because of this, Because of this, he and his people were under a curse and were experiencing the anger and the wrath of God. Let's read about that again. That's found in verses 6 through 9. 
Hezekiah says, For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned uh, incense or offered uh, burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, say therefore, therefore, because of this, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. And he has given them up to trouble, given them up to desolation, to jeering, as you can see with your own eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. And then comes Hezekiah. Just when you think that something is finished, just when you think that something is done for, just when you think that there is absolutely no hope, all of a sudden, and sometimes out of nowhere, along comes somebody with a touch of God upon them. Along comes somebody who still walks with God. Along comes somebody who still has the Spirit of the Lord upon them. Although Hezekiah was the son of a wicked man, although Hezekiah should, by all rights, follow in the wicked footsteps of his godless father, yet some way and somehow Hezekiah refused the mentoring of his wicked father and chose rather to walk a different path, a godly path, a righteous path. Let me tell you something this morning, church. The whole world can go to hell all around you. And you can stay close to God. I said the whole world can go to hell all around you and yet you can still stay true to God. The entire world around you can lie and cheat and steal. They can get drunk and commit adultery. They can curse and swear and ridicule a holy God. But you, just like King Hezekiah, can choose to walk with God, honor His ways, and obey His commands. I want us to take a look at this chapter today. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Now in chapter number 28, Hezekiah's wicked father dies. In chapter 29, Hezekiah becomes king. And let's look at Hezekiah's example this morning. There are six things that I want to pull from this chapter that I want to talk about this morning. The first thing I want us to notice this morning is the priority. Notice the priority found in verse number 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Before he did anything for himself, before he did anything to promote his own kingdom, oh, first of all, his top priority was to open the door of the house of God. He's going to send a message to all, oh, that he's going to be a godly king. The God that his father had forsaken was being invited back by Hezekiah. Hezekiah understood that if he was going to be successful, uh, oh, he understood that if his time on the throne was going to be significant, uh, he understood that if he was going to make a difference in the lives of his people, uh, he was going to need the help of the true and the living God. Hezekiah didn't just tuck God in somewhere. He he didn't just try and find a little niche or, or a little corner, a little place for God. No, no, Hezekiah made God his top priority in the, in the first year of his reign. Oh, in the first month of his reign, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. 
How about us today? Is God top priority in our lives or do we just try and fit Him in somewhere? I said, is God top priority? Is number one in our life or, or do we just have a little corner, a little niche or a little place that we like to just kind of tuck God in somewhere, fit Him in somewhere? Let me ask it like this. Do we come to his house only when it's too cold and wet to golf or fish? Do we come to church only when the cowboys aren't playing? Do we go to work on Monday with the very same symptoms that kept us out of the house of God on Sunday? Is God taught priority in our lives? Do we offer God a first fruits offering or just the leftovers? Hear me this morning. My, my goal is not to heap condemnation on you today, but my goal is to challenge you today to learn from Hezekiah's example. He made God top priority. And because of making God top priority in His kingdom, His kingdom, that it endured a curse. Oh, under His Father's leadership, enjoyed favor and blessing like nothing before or nothing after in His reign. Sometimes I just want to take people and shake them. (laughs) Sometimes I just want to take people and shake them and say, Don't you get it? You disobey God's rules and you wonder why you are constantly struggling. Don't you get it? Listen, this morning, God's rules are not meant to make you miserable. God's rules are meant to bless you. If we can understand that this morning, oh, people, you know, they don't like the rules of God and they like to, you know, they like to buck up under them and they don't like it, especially when the preacher starts talking about the specific rule that they need, that they are breaking at the time. But listen this morning, I don't want to put a condemnation on you today. I want to challenge you today. Amen. I know what your life could be. Amen. If only you would make him top priority in your life. I know what your life could be if only you would follow the rules. Amen. The word of the living God. It's not there to make you miserable. Amen. The word of God is for you to be blessed by. If you make God top priority in your life in every area, just like Hezekiah, the curse of the past will be lifted and the favor and the blessing of God will come upon you in its place. Well, the second thing that I see in this chapter is the participation found in verse 4. The participation. Verse number 4 says that Hezekiah brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. Now we understand that the priests and the Levites were the people that were chosen by God to perform the work of the ministry in the temple. And Hezekiah understood the law of God. And he understood that based upon the law of God in the Old Testament, he understood that not just anybody could do the work of God in the temple. Hezekiah was the king. He was the head honcho. He's number one. He's in charge. But even though he was the king, even though he was totally in charge, he understood his place. And he turned to those that were called of God to restore worship. In the temple. Verse number 11. My sons, he says, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn 
in sins. Well, pastor, we're not under that covenant anymore. Don't you understand that everybody's a minister today? Don't you understand that we're under a new covenant today and that everybody is a minister and everybody has access to God? Yes, I understand that. And yet I still believe that God chooses certain people to give their entire lives to the work of the ministry. Yes, I believe that everybody is a minister. No, you don't need me to get to God. You can go to God on your own. And all of us are ministers. I understand that. But I also still believe that there is a group of people that is specifically called of God to give their entire life for the ministry. And these people have a special anointing upon their lives for ministry. And they should be loved and they should be honored and they should be supported for the position that they hold. You say, well, pastor, how do I honor somebody? They're not very honorable. It doesn't matter if they're honorable or not. You're not honoring them. You're honoring the position that God put them in. Amen. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures real quickly this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 through 13. And he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What did he give them for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then let's read 1 Timothy chapter number 5. 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse 17 through 19. Let the elders uh, who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And do not receive an accusation against an elder unless there are two or three eyewitnesses. And then let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse 11 through 14. Paul writes and he says, Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. He said, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings at the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel or should be supported by the ministry of the gospel. We're talking about Hezekiah's example today. The second thing I want you to notice is the participation of the priests and the Levites were the people chosen by God to perform the works of the ministry in the temple. And Hezekiah brings them together and uses them and calls upon them to help institute a worship to come back to the house of God. The third thing I want us to notice in this passage is I want us to notice the purifying. 
the purifying. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, had desecrated the temple. He had mishandled and abused the furnishings of the temple. The temple had been locked up. Nobody had cleaned it for some time. No doubt there was much dirt. No doubt there was much debris. No doubt there were cobwebs. No doubt there were nests of animals in the temple. And Hezekiah calls for the purifying. We've got to purify. Let me suggest, first of all, he, he first called for the purifying of the people. The purifying of the people. Verse 4 and 5 again of our text. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Before Hezekiah called for the purifying of the, of the house of God, he first called for the purifying of the men of God. That's significant this morning. You see, so often we like to talk about what's wrong with the church. We like to talk about the, the things that are going on and allowed to go on in the house of God when the reason is often found in the life of the man of God. You see, when the man of God is right, the house of God will be right. I said, when the man of God is right, the house of God will be right. When the man of God is living holy, he will demand holiness in the house of God. Let me ask you this morning, where were the priests and the Levites during the reign of King Ahaz? Where were they? Why had they allowed the light to go out in the house of God? Why had they not kept the house of God clean and the house of God pure? Where were the men of God? Purity in the man of God will ensure purity in the house of God. Hezekiah calls the priests and the Levites together, the religious leaders and teachers of his day, and he brings them before him and he says, Sanctify yourself. Purify yourself. Get yourself pure. Get yourself right. Get yourself holy. Go through the ceremonial cleansing that the law requires. He says to them, we're going to reopen the temple. Uh, oh, we're going to have worship again in the house of God. God is being invited back into our lives. He's going to need a voice to speak through. He's going to need hands to touch through. He's going to need you to work through. Oh, God, give us men and women of God today who will purify themselves by bathing daily in the Word and in prayer. Talking right now about the purifying. It began with the people of God. And then the place. First he called for cleansing. He called for purifying of the people. And then he calls for purifying of the place. Verse number 5. He said, hear me Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord of your fathers. And carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Verse 15. And they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they had found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. 
now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. And then they went into King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord. The altar of burnt offerings with all its articles and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign has cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared, sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. The priests and the Levites did a thorough cleansing of the temple. They cleaned it spotless. Listen to me this morning. Listen, this is very significant. This is incredible. Listen, friend, they took out of it all the things that didn't belong in it. The things, the pagan things that the king, Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad had put in it that didn't belong there. They took everything out of the temple that didn't belong in the temple. And once they got everything out of the temple that didn't belong in the temple, then they put back into it the articles of worship that did belong in it. Are you getting it this morning? Friend, I believe it would do us good today to do a thorough house cleaning in the church. What have we allowed to creep in the church that is no rightful place in the house of God? I said, we need to look around this morning. We need to do a thorough examination. We need to do a house cleaning this morning. We need to discover the things that are in the house of God. Amen. That somehow they've been allowed to come in. Somehow they have creeped in the house of God. But they don't belong in the house of God. Perhaps it's tradition. Paul said, you're so wrapped in tradition. He said, the real can't even, can't even manifest itself. Paul said that. He said, you're so heaped and wrapped up in tradition. Uh, amen. That the awesome power of God can't even manifest itself because you're so wrapped up in tradition. We need to discover this morning what it is that's nothing more than tradition. Uh, and we need to take it out of the house of God. It doesn't belong in the house of God. That, that is only in and of itself tradition. Maybe it could be leftovers from other religions. That's certainly the case with them. There were leftovers of other religions that were, that were in the temple that needed to be discarded. But I want to tell you that people come into the house of God from other religions or other walks and other beliefs and they just like to tack on Christianity or tack on Pentecost or whatever to what they already uh, have known or, or uh, known in the past. Amen. We need to discover, amen, what we have been, what has been left over by other religions, uh, realize and, and mark them and understand what they are and expel them from the house of God. Maybe it's ideas from the world. Ideas from the world. We've allowed worldliness. We've allowed the, 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 the way that the world markets itself. We've allowed that to creep in the church. Amen. We need to be careful with that. Maybe it's, maybe it's merely preference. Amen. It's nothing more but pre- than preference, but we treat it like principle. We need to discover what it is in the house of God that that we've allowed to come into the house of God that doesn't belong in the house of God and we need to take it and remove it from the house of God. On the other hand, oh, if we would do a thorough inspection of the church today, we just might also discover some things missing. 
As they looked in the temple, they found things that weren't supposed to be there that were there. And they looked in the temple for some of the things that should be there and they were not there. And so they had to go find them and clean them up and bring them back and put them back in the temple. Listen, I want to tell you, not only have we allowed things to come into the church that doesn't belong in the church, but if we'll look around this morning, we'll discover that there are some things that are missing today. They once were in the house of God. They once had preeminence in the house of God. But as we look around today, where in the world are they? Amen. Amen. Things like prayer warriors. Things like intercessors. Things like servants. What about holiness and sanctification? King Hezekiah first called for the purifying of the people. And once the people were cleansed, oh, he then called for the purifying of the place, the purifying of the temple, the house of God. We're trying to learn by Hezekiah's example today. We, we today need to clean up in the house of God. We need to look around us and see what we've allowed to come in the house of God that doesn't belong here. Get rid of it and look and discover the things that we have lost and admit we're missing. Find those and get them back and put them in their rightful place in the house of God. Wow, I need two hours this morning. I'm not going to take it, don't worry. The fourth thing I want you to talk about is the procedure, verses 20 through 24. Notice the procedure. King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs. Seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. Now that the priests have been purified and the place purified, now the temple can be used for its original design, and that is worship. The modern church could learn from Hezekiah. Listen to me this morning. It's not, it's not the house of the people, but the house of the Lord. I said, it's not the house of the people, it's the house of the Lord. The church is not a place to please the people, it's a place to please the Lord. The modern church today spends too much time trying to please the people and not enough time trying to please the Lord. After the purifying of the people in the place, the temple is now ready for worship. Sacrifices are once again installed. And notice they began with a sin offering. Notice that verse 7 says that they brought seven bulls, they brought seven rams, they brought seven male goats for a sin offering. Now if you'll read the Old Testament, you'll understand that the law only called for one animal, but they bring seven. All the 
that is needed is one, but they bring seven. Why seven? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, they hadn't offered a sin offering for a long, long time, and they're really far behind. Their sin is great. That's why some of you, when you get, got saved, you shed a couple of tears, and some of you bawled like a baby. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> That's one reason. I, I believe that the most significant reason was because seven is the number of perfection. And this was a type and a picture of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that would become the supreme sacrifice on the cross. Isn't that awesome? Notice also in verse number 23, it says that they laid their hands on them. They... The priests laid their hands on the animals, on the sacrifice. Why did they do this? This represented the transmission of a person's sin from themselves to the animal. This was a sign and a symbol of the transferring of the sin of man to the sin of the sacrifice. Again, a type or a picture of what Christ would do for us on the cross. Isaiah said it like this, Isaiah 53 and 6. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, who Jesus, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What we have here is a picture or a type of Jesus Christ on the cross. When God takes the sin of all men and places it upon his son on the cross. Preach it better than you're shouting this morning. Amen. Let's read verse 24 again. And the priest killed them. And they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering. To make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. The actual slaughter of the animal was also a type and a picture of Christ. And the price that he would have to pay upon the cross. This actual slaughter symbolized that the sinner deserved death. Romans 6 and 23 said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord. Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death. But it also symbolizes that God will provide a substitute for man. All the wages of sin is death. Yes, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, oh, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive by the Spirit. The first thing that Hezekiah did when he became king was to open the doors of the temple. All oh, that his father had closed, he called for the cleansing and purifying of both the people and the place. But as soon as the priest and the place were ready... He quickly called for the sin offering to be offered. He called his people to repentance. Friend, the house of the Lord should be a place for repentance today. I said the house of the Lord ought to be a place for repentance. It ought to be a place for the purifying of the people of God. When we come into the house of God, we should purify ourselves. We should repent of our sin. Sin and sinner and saint alike should confess and forsake their sin. First John chapter one, reading a lot of scripture this morning, but that's all right. First Corinthians chapter one, verse five through nine. This is the message that we have heard from him. 
and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him but we walk in darkness, we're a liar. You say, preacher, you're sure plain spoken. Well, I, gotta, that's, I just got to go by what this book says. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but we walk in darkness, we are a liar. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood, say the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the fifth thing that I see in this chapter. Wow. Got to the good part yet. The fifth thing that I see in this chapter is the praising. Look at verse 25 through 30. Verse 25 through 30. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel." And all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. Oh, all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Listen to me this morning, friend. Just as there is a time for purifying in the house of the Lord, so there ought to be a time for praising. We should first repent, but then we should rejoice. Notice this. This is very significant. The sin offering was for repentance. The sin offering was for the purifying. The bird offering was for rejoicing. The bird offering was for praise. Two offerings were given. The first was to purify themselves. The first was, was to repent of their sin. But the next offering that they gave was an offering of rejoicing. It was an offering of praise. Three reasons why we ought to praise this morning. First of all, because we have the right to praise. As the people of God, we've got the right to praise. Psalm 117, praise the Lord all you nations. Praise Him all you people of the earth. For He loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Not only do we have a right to praise, but we also have a reason to praise. And I'm about out of time and I haven't even got to the good part yet. So let me just tell you to read First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 and, and Psalm 103 verse 1 through 5. There is a reason. We've got a reason to praise. We've got a reason to be rejoicing people today. Not only do we have a right to praise and a reason to praise, we have a responsibility to praise again. Psalm 134 verse 1 and 2 and Psalm 135 verse 1 through 5. And Luke chapter 19 verse 40 says, In essence, if we don't praise the Lord, the rocks and the stones will cry out in praise. That is how worthy and how deserving that He is of praise. We ought to come into the house of God and purify ourselves. We ought to come into the house of God and repent of our sin. But once we're done with that, then we need to spend some time praising God and spend some time rejoicing in the Lord. Man, I should have had a series on this. This has been fun. 
The sixth thing that I see here this morning. Oh, I love this. I love this. The prosperity. Look at verse 31 through 36. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. (laughs) That preacher just takes too many offerings. Not as many as Hezekiah did. Now that you've consecrated, you've already brought your sin offering, already brought the burnt offering, now that you've done that, now that you've consecrated yourself to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings. Say thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly of God brought in sacrifices, (laughs) thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. Yeah, they didn't all do it even then. (laughs) Oh, little changes, little changes. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering or a praise offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls, 3,000 sheep. But they didn't have enough preachers. The priests were too few. And so they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore they, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended. Until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings. For every burnt offering... So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. The people are so excited with the reopening of the temple that after offering sacrifices for both purifying and praising, for both repenting and rejoicing, the people are so excited that they start bringing so many animals for praise offerings and thank offerings that the priests are too few to prepare the animals for sacrifice. Just a few days before this, the temple doors are closed and locked. And now prosperity is coming to the house of God. And there's more animal for sacrifice than is needed. My message today is Hezekiah's example. Oh, oh, if we as the modern church today will learn to both repent and rejoice, if we will also learn to purify and to praise, we too could enjoy prosperity in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine what it would be like if the people of New Bethel would be like the people in our text? Oh, we'd become so excited. Amen. That we'd bring in so much offering to the house of the Lord that we wouldn't have enough ushers to count it all. We say usually the deacons count the offering, but there's just too much for us to count all the offering. So they just start grabbing people and saying, hey, we need some help. We got such a big offering today. We need everybody's help to count all. Can you imagine the abundance? Can you imagine the prosperity that could come to the house of God? Oh, debt would quickly be erased. Oh, oh, a new bigger facility would be built. Oh, what in the world could we do for missions? Oh, what could we do for those that are lost without the Lord Jesus Christ? Hear me this morning. The fact is when people make God top priority in their lives, everybody prospers. 
everybody prospers. Look over in chapter 31 and verse 10. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since, say since, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed His people. And what is left is this great abundance. Verse 20, then, thus Hezekiah, verse 20, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and what was right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of the Lord, in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart, so he prospered. Oh, this morning, would you like to prosper today? I said, would you like to prosper today? Would you like to stop struggling? I'll tell you this morning, if you'll make God and His Word top priority in your life, I'm telling you this morning, if you will make God number one on the throne of your life, let me tell you that God will prosper you. He will provide for you. He will supply all of your need according unto His riches in glory. He will bless you. He will increase what you have. Amen. I'm telling you that this will work not only for the house of God, but it'll work for the people of God. Musicians and singers, get back in place. I'm way over already. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But instead, they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. They make it top priority. They are like trees planted along the riverbanks bearing fruit. Say bearing fruit. Bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper. Say prosper. It's not a dirty word. The faith boys can't have it all to themselves. Amen. It didn't originate out of Tulsa. Now prosper literally means a full supply. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to have a bigger Cadillac and a bigger home and more money in the bank. But it means that all of my needs are going to be met and there's going to be something left over. These are like trees planted along the river banks bearing fruit each season. Their leaves don't ever wither and they prosper in all talking about Hezekiah's example this morning. His life and the lives of those he led was blessed because of making God the number one priority in his life. He was blessed because he called for both purifying and praising, for repentance and rejoicing. And I'm calling us here today, New Bethel. Amen. I'm calling all of us here today to do do these two same things. I'm calling us to purify ourselves and I'm calling us to repent and I'm calling us to praise and I'm calling us to rejoicing. And if heaven will be a place of purifying and a place of praise, if it will be these two things, it will also be a place of prosperity, a place of abundance. There'll be more than enough in the house of God. And that means there's more than enough in your life because what's in the house of God came from you. It originally came from God to you. 
Everyone come quickly, really, really fast this morning. Done in one minute. We're not going to make it. But that... A couple things we can do this morning. Real quickly. Come on, folks, quickly.